Exodus 5, 1 through 5. This is God's holy word. And afterward Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him, uh, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. And then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, He will fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. Again, Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have them cease from their labors. Thus far, God's holy, inspired, and infallible Word. Thanks be to God. Pray with me again. Father, we ask that uh, You would help us to understand a passage like this. It seems very straightforward and simple, and yet there are truths here that we need to take into our own lives. So we pray Your Spirit would guide us and You would bless us as we study the Word together. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, Israel is ready to follow Moses. He and Aaron now go to Pharaoh to ask permission for the people to leave the area in which they live in order to make a journey that would take an individual three days to cover, plus three more days for one person to return. Now, think, think. One person versus a million people. Because the word to Pharaoh, eventually this will come out, is that... uh, a million people are going to take a three-day journey. And that doesn't mean that they can all cover the amount of ground they need to cover in three days. It means that if one person were to walk that distance, it would take three days. A million people, it's going to take much longer than three days. If they go into the wilderness, what's the purpose of their going into the wilderness? They're going to hold, they say, a festival, a celebration, a time of worship with the Lord. And this is going to involve a lot of activity. They're not going to, uh, to reach the limit of this journey, which probably would amount to about 45 or 50 miles. And for however long it would take a million people to cover that. They're going with their children, their wives, their animals, everybody going. And uh, then they have to do all the preparations and carry them out and then pack up again and come back. So this is not a short journey, uh, just a a few uh, days away. Uh, This is a long time, maybe months involved in this. Well, you see, Pharaoh was never going to agree to this. But the day would come, and that will be at the end of this process that, that the Lord is doing, the day would come when Pharaoh would tell Moses and the people to leave for good. He would say, in effect, get out. I want nothing to do with any of you ever again. But now we're in the early stages here. At this first meeting, nothing has happened yet. 
The great march to the promised land is a long way off at this time. So we're going to think about several things this morning as we look at these five verses that open the fifth chapter of Exodus. The first is that the Lord has a message for rulers and for nations. Thus says the Lord, Your Excellency, Mr. President, Your Majesty. Thus says the Lord. Secondly, rulers and nations are mostly ignorant when dealing with Jehovah or Yahweh, the God of Israel. Thirdly, to neglect the worship of the Lord is to invite death. Fourthly, rulers fear a failed economy most of all. And finally, pride goes before destruction. Those are our points this morning. Alright, the Lord has a message for rulers and nations. And the message is, your self-importance ends now. Submit to my absolute authority. That, in effect, was the message to Pharaoh, but it's the message that God brings to nations throughout history, throughout any situation. God says, your self-importance ends now. Submit to my absolute authority. Among the ancient peoples, only the children of Israel were likely to take this word to heart. They had a history of God's help to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through the time when they first went down to Egypt and even in His keeping of them through this period. But uh, of all the other nations of the world who had all sorts of false gods and false ideas about God, this word would mean not very much. Certainly not to the kings and and self-important people that uh, lived in those times. And among all those ancients, Pharaoh and his Egyptians were the most likely to reject it. Why? were they the most likely because they were the greatest nation of the world in that day. More power, more authority, more influence. And when this word comes, thus says the Lord, stop your self-importance, humble yourself before Me, they're just going to laugh and say, no way, we are the greatest. We are the best. If there are gods, they should thank us for being us. And you see, history is largely about nations who rise up against the Most High only to be destroyed. It was the Lord who said in Scripture, I raise them up, I put them down. I'm in charge. And Pharaoh's biggest mistake, and it can be our biggest mistake as well, is to take lightly the Word of the Lord. Whenever you're confronted with this statement, thus says the Lord, don't pass it off. Don't forget it. Don't think it just applies to somebody else. It applies to you and to me. It applies to all the peoples 
of this and other nations, it applies to the leaders and rulers of this world. This is God's message for rulers and nations. Thus says the Lord. Alright, secondly, rulers and nations are mostly ignorant when dealing with the Lord. Now not uh, one of us, I'm sure, has ever failed to hear a politician say something like this, God bless America. God save the King. And yet, those words are often uttered in ignorance. And really, from the heart comes what Pharaoh said when Moses and Aaron confronted him and said, Our Lord has met with us. Yahweh has met with us. And he says, Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey His Word? Only a person in great ignorance could say that or could say, God bless America or God save the King without really understanding the importance and the application of that into the life of a people and a nation. Rulers and nations largely believe in their own self-made-up supporting gods or in no God at all, which amounts to saying, I'm God. And there have been rulers throughout history who have taken the position, I am God. Or in denying the existence of God, it says, well, in, in the absence of any greater authority, then I rule, my word is sovereign, people have to listen to me or else we will wipe them from the face of the earth. The true God has revealed Himself. It's not as though rulers and nations can't find any hint of God. First of all, the Bible says that you need look only at nature to tell you that there is a God. And yet people say, oh well, no, there isn't really. But beyond that, God has put the awareness of His existence in the heart of every person. So that everyone, though they may not know exactly how they should approach Him and everything that, uh, that really they should follow concerning Him because they haven't looked anywhere, yet uh, that is still there. That they know there is a God and they know there's a God to whom they will have to give an account someday for their lives. But God has, you see, gone beyond that knowledge of Him in nature, which we call general revelation, even to the point of people knowing in their hearts that there is a God. God has given us His Word. He's revealed Himself through His prophets. That is, the people who speak in His behalf, who bring His Word, not just to one person, one king, one nation, but to all the world. This is the Word of God. And the Scriptures, the Bible, is, as I heard Franklin Graham say the other day, the best-selling book in all of history. And it has been that way for years and years and years. God has revealed Himself in His Word. Yes, there are a few places here and there in the world today where people don't have the Bible. But you know, there are literally thousands of translators at work in the world to put the Word of God into the language 
of people so that they may know Him. They may follow Him. And certainly no leader of the world is, is ignorant of the fact that there is this book in which God reveals Himself. You say, but they didn't have that book back in Pharaoh's day. No, but they had a prophet. In fact, there were prophets before him, but they had Moses. Again, Moses coming and says to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. But we could also make that to mean, thus the Lord wants you to know about Himself, His sovereignty, His greatness, His power, His judgments, His righteousness, and His love for sinners. Compare this uh, particular Pharaoh to his older predecessor. And I mean going back now some hundreds of years. The, the Pharaoh who was in charge of things when Joseph was elevated to the point that he was the prime minister of Egypt. And I'm reading from Genesis 41 verse 39. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, in as, uh, for as much as God has showed you all this, there is none so discreet and wise as you are. What a wonderful phrase. You could say that about anyone who comes to grips with what God has revealed through His prophets, through His Word. What has God revealed? He's revealed that which makes you discreet and wise, gives you understanding. But most of the rulers of the world today are ignorant of who God really is. Pharaoh was a powerful but ignorant king who proudly mocked the Hebrew God as though he knew better, as he knew more. Go forward through many years to the days of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. 1 Kings 10, verse 1, And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, notice just not the fame of, of Solomon, but concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she was a wise ruler. She was a, a woman, a king, a ruler of great significance. But she said, I must go and speak with this man who rules in the name of the Lord for his nation has become so great, so influential that I cannot expect to rule unless I get some more information. Again, that's our point. That though the rulers of the world are vastly ignorant of God, there's no reason for them to be ignorant other than their own stubborn unwillingness to read the Bible, to hear that word taught. It used to be that, that kings, though they didn't listen very well, but it used to be that kings and, and queens and rulers would have someone come every Lord's Day and preach to them. We need to pray that God will enlighten rulers and nations, and enlighten them especially with the Gospel. That uh, though God has decreed destruction upon those who have turned from Him and have failed to worship Him, nevertheless, He will save those who repent 
and turn by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, our third point is this. To neglect the worship of the Lord is to invite death. This is from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27. The fear of the Lord, or respect, or that uh, worshipful quality that one has toward the Lord, is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Verse 3 of this passage we read just now records Moses' expression of urgency to worship a God immediately lest he be angry. Now let me explain to you what's taking place here. God is about to separate the Israelites from the Egyptians. People say, well, why did he start out just saying, let us go a three days journey? And I've tried to explain to you it's much longer than three days. But uh, he says, let them go that they may worship me. Why? Couldn't they worship them in Goshen where they were living? The point is they weren't worshiping him there. They were too influenced by the Egyptians and their gods, too intermingled with their culture. And God is saying by this first statement that Moses and Aaron make, I'm separating my people from you. I want you to see that, Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh says, I'm not listening to this God, but God says, you have to listen to me. You have to stop your self-importance. You have to yield yourself to my authority. And Moses says, God is going to separate this people. You might as well get used to the idea. And the implication is that even if Pharaoh were to say, okay, go and have your celebration, that's just the first step. The first step of what? The first step of separating this people from idolaters. A a culture that hates the Lord and does everything the Lord says not to do and exalts it. And God says, I'm going to separate you from that. Starting with going into the wilderness, of course, which never happened, but he says we'll we'll start there and the separation ultimately will come. Now how serious is God about this matter of separating people from idolatry that they don't participate in it? Well, remember what already had happened to Moses on the way to Egypt. God had almost killed him at that point. Why? Because there was still some reticence to follow the Lord and serve Him. Now if that wasn't enough, now Moses and Aaron say, we fear that God will rain pestilence and the sword upon us if we don't go and and worship Him. Or to put it another way, if we don't separate ourselves from the Egyptians, we're going to be punished by the Lord also. Because the judgment of God is going to fall upon the land of Egypt... And it's likely to fall on us if we don't separate ourselves. Now let let that be a lesson for me, and let that be a lesson for you. If we don't separate ourselves from this present evil world, the judgment that's coming on this world is going to fall on us as well. It's as simple as that. So Moses' demand for this three-day journey was not a simple thing. It was complicated, involved the movement of a mass of people and their animals, but you couldn't ignore it. 
God says, I don't care how big it is, I don't care how long it takes, I don't care what you have to do to accomplish it, but separate yourselves from the idolatry and the wickedness of Egypt. Otherwise, you'll get what they're going to get. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Pharaoh practically laughed at the idea of losing Israelite labor for weeks and months. And in the next point, I'm going to explain that a little more. But he laughed at the idea. But this was God's way of alerting even Pharaoh that Israel's place in Egypt was coming to an end. And let us understand that the worship of the Lord are being separated unto the Lord is never a small matter. I answer some questions uh, from time to time that are submitted to our denomination. And uh, one, of, one of the points I had to make recently was that uh, the worship of the Lord is never a small thing. Never something to take lightly. Never something to say, well, I can do this or that instead of worshiping the Lord. No, He says, I want your worship. I want your attention. I want your love. And I want your separation from anything that's not that way. Okay, let's talk about the economics here for a little bit. Rulers fear what, most of all? I know people might argue with me about this, but I don't think I'm wrong. Rulers fear a failed economy, most of all. We might call this the economics of obedience, if you will. Here's what Pharaoh said. He said, why do you draw people away from their work? Get back to your labors. You see, the Israelites in their position of slavery had become essential to the Egyptian economy. Why does Pharaoh say, get back to work? Because the Egyptian economy depends on this slave labor of the Israelites. But when the citizens of any country become frightened, then the society becomes restless and trouble brews and rulers become nervous. And I don't know what's going to happen with the economy in this country. It looks bad. But uh, if it does go sour, then you can count on the fact there will be a lot of restlessness and trouble in the world around us. Rulers want the economy to work. The Israelites knew from the patriarchs, from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they knew about economics. No, they weren't of this economic school or this or that. What they knew was that obedience to the Lord brings prosperity. And Egypt was not being obedient to the Lord. So whom would they fear the most? I'm talking about the Israelites now. Who would they fear the most? Their angry slave masters or the God of their fathers? Obedience to the Lord brings prosperity. And God was about to damage the economy far worse 
then would their absence be as slaves? In other words, in his heart, Pharaoh was saying, these people can't stop work. We can't go months without their labor. It'll wreck us. But the irony is that God says, I'm going to wreck you all right. And it'll be far worse than a depression or stagnation or whatever words you want to use. is going to be far worse if I come against you in my wrath than if you obey me. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Moses was leading the people, yes, to a different economic situation. And what were the Egyptians to do? They were going to have to adjust. They were going to have to change. And most of all, they were going to have to repent before the Lord. By the time that Pharaoh woke up, and later he'll say, Pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. By the time he woke up, it was too little and too late. The nation had already suffered agricultural damage and other kinds of economic damage. Why? Because every time Moses said, Thus says the Lord, Pharaoh said, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Get out. Don't listen to me. Well, you see, pride goes before destruction, does it not? This is Proverbs 16.18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Besides the economic factor, Pharaoh did not want to lose the game. He didn't want to be embarrassed. What Moses was asking was a tough pill to swallow. But again, it was temporary and it was fixable. But Pharaoh was too full of pride, too arrogant, too untrustworthy, too contentious, too unyielding, too ready to fight with Yahweh. Of course, the Lord knew that Pharaoh was like this and He had told Moses, He won't won't let you go when you ask Him, but you go ahead and do that. Why? Because He says, I am determined to show My power. And He said this actually to Pharaoh. He says, but I have raised you, Pharaoh, up for this very purpose that I might show you My power and that My name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That's the ninth chapter of Exodus, verse 16. Now Moses, you see, had been a prideful man. Even in the days when he thought he was going to be the Savior of Israel and he went out and said, here I am, brothers, and so forth. And then God sent him on the run to Midian. Moses' pride had been broken. That's a good thing. Pharaoh's pride was all intact, all together. And where was he headed? He was headed to destruction. May the Lord teach us humility and give us grace to accept what He offers us. What does He offer us? Himself. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That was His covenant with Israel. But it's a covenant that could be made with any people. I'll be your God, you'll be my people. I offer you myself. Pharaoh said, not us, not me. Exodus 10.3, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? That was one of the last messages from Moses to Pharaoh. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? 
But Second Chronicles 34.27 says, because your heart was responsive, not talking to the Egyptians particularly, but he says, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. But whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we see that things are not starting out very well here for the Israelites or the Egyptians, but we see God at work. God bringing people to where they must be and God putting those destined for judgment just in that very spot. Oh Lord, deliver us from Your judgments. Help us to separate from what is ungodly and wicked. Help us, Lord, not to worry about our economic situation if we trust and hope in You and obey You. Help us, Lord, to live our lives in this failing world, failing economy, failing everything. Help us, Lord, to trust You who alone is successful and who will have His way and who will save His people and grant them life now and through all eternity through Jesus Christ our Lord in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay. Let's sing together our closing praise. It's on the back page of your book.